We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of Your Welcome Radio. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, founder of Coachable. I'm a corporate dropout and recovering people pleaser turned online entrepreneur, speaker, and self-love junkie. And each week, I bring you a thought or a guest to help you get inspired, stay connected, and slay your fear dragons. So get ready to thank yourself for listening, because you're welcome here. Hey guys, welcome back to Your Welcome Radio. I am so excited to be in studio today with Joshua Lovedom. And Josh believes that greatness is in each of us. Um, he believes that leaders who accept imperfections can choose their greatness and inspire others from a place of wholeness. He teaches and inspires and coaches leaders to see the truth of their greatness and to live in it in every area of their life through his Exponential Evolution program. In 2018, combining his MBA and his spiritual background, he started his coaching program to train local businesses to be intentional in their work and in their lives. And he believes that our purpose is to evolve and that by living in wholeness, we better impact our businesses, our relationships, the communities we live in, and together we can evolve exponentially. His Aligned Purpose to Profit coaching and training program allows businesses to experience the power of aligned action and make more money and impact more people. So you guys can see if you know anything about me why when I met Josh that I just had instant chemistry and connection and synergies were flowing and Mm -hmm. just really aligned in our missions and the work that we do so I had to bring him on and just really excited to have you and thanks for for being on the show today yeah I'm excited about it I really enjoyed that conversation we could have recorded a a podcast directly from there and we should have yeah we went straight into it immediately we did Yeah. So I want you to tell listeners as we get kind of started just about your background. Where did you come from? And specifically in your work, how did you end up where you are today? Kind of give us give us kind of that journey. So I talk a lot about aligning purpose to profit. Purpose driven work has always been something that I've sought Um, My dad's a pastor, uh, a Baptist preacher, and so I was going to be a youth minister. I was going to go back and be a youth minister along with him. And along the way, I just started second, like second guessing what I had been taught. And I was like, I don't know if I can teach this, but I know that the work that I get to do um, should be about serving people. And so all the work that I started finding myself into was I went into it thinking this is the way that I can, this is the way that I can help people. It was all business driven, right? It was insurance and banking and Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, 
it ended up being focused on businesses and uh, product and uh, messaging development. And all along the way, it was intended to really help people. But what I found was that so many of the companies that I was working for, the profit was the primary was the primary focus. I mean, we live in a, a capitalistic society. People yeah. want to make money. I have zero problem with that. And it was it, it was the idea of bringing purpose more to the forefront that as we are intentional about our work, that we we own the impact that we have. We're having an impact. Hmm. When we show up to work, when we show up to interact with people, we're having an impact one way or the other. And the question is, are we doing and in, in, intentionally impacting our world or are we unintentionally doing it because we're unconscious? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always like, I always knew that purpose-driven work was going to be something that I was going to find myself in. Mm-hmm. And so now kind of going back to that youth ministry, that like spirituality, it, I want to bring some of those spiritual principles to the work world and not in a proselytizing way, but just like, what are the ways that we can show up intentionally so that yeah. our work is, is done that way? That yeah. our relationships within our work, that our relationships outside of our work are done. Yeah, I think it's so important um, that we're really in a time Um, And I think there's an opportunity to make work matter Mm -hmm. and to, I specifically, you know, had a real come to Jesus moment in my own life um, that caused me to pause and say, is what I'm doing impactful in the way that I want it to be? Mm -hmm. And more, more so than that, it was a question of not what do I want to do and what do I want, but who do I want to be? And when we ask that question, I think it liberates us to see the way that who we are touches every aspect of our lives, including our work life. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a, it's really interesting that you put it that way. That's definitely the way that I see it now as well. Um, I was just kind of taking some notes and talking about, you know, going back to my early twenties and coming up out of the, the pastor, the, the, the pastor's kid, the type of church that I was in and the reason that I started second guessing it was because there was so much in my Christian upbringing, the the type of Christianity that I was involved in. And this is not bashing that in any way. It's just that the type that I was involved in was very much focused on. We are not like at our heart, we are not good. Like we're sinners at heart. Right. Yeah. And so what it created for me was this idea of, even though I was successful in the work that I was doing, I was successful in my, in my, I was married. I had two kids, had the house with the picket fence. It wasn't white, but it was a picket fence. And, you know, by all accounts, I was successful, but on the inside, I felt like I was coming from this place of, I'm a failure at heart. And so there was always this gap between what I, what I knew, like if, if I could just achieve a little bit more, it would fill that gap. And if I could just get to the next place of, of growth or like realize the next thing or accomplish the next thing in my career, that it would, it would bridge the gap between the way that I felt about myself Mm-hmm. And and what I knew that I could be. And when when I shifted that to like getting rid of that idea of failure and operating from that place of of being successful and, and feeling like feeling that mm-hmm. it changed everything about the way that I interacted with the world. There it was no longer a need to prove something to myself or to somebody else. It was just doing it for the sheer love of it. Yeah, I think and it's coming from that 
ultimate deep-rooted belief that even though you're trying to achieve and trying to get to the next level to compensate for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that emptiness or that void part of you deeply believed that it would never be enough you know what I mean and that it would never make up for the fact that you were innately broken innately Mm -hmm. needed fixing and Mm -hmm. and that is the underlying you know belief system there of of that's why we need, you know, yeah. that savior to fix our brokenness. Yeah. And, I think and that savior can be anything. Of course. People, some people turn to religion for right. it and they look for a literal savior outside of them. Some people look to their work mm-hmm. to save them. Some people look to a relationship to save them. You know and, and, and all, it, the, yeah, again, it's the next thing. It's the next person. It's something just around the corner that will make me mm-hmm. feel whole. Yeah. And, and all the time it was right here. Mm-hmm. I had that same experience, um, which caused me to have a similar, you know, moment in my life where it really was about reevaluating what does success mean for me? And I actually just posted about this last night. Cause when you say someone says to you, like, I want to be successful, maybe you're working with a business owner or just anyone in your friend group or whatever, and they're like one of their value, they value success. Mm-hmm. And they say, I want to be successful. What does that even mean? And are we actually all talking about the same thing <laughs> when we say that? Yeah, I, I think it's so like one of the sad things that I think a lot of leaders have to deal with and certainly that I had to deal with was really understanding what I believe is success versus what I I have come to believe as success based off of what everyone else is telling me, based off of what the culture is telling me, based off of what my parents taught me. What you're conditioned to what think. You're, what, I'm, what I was conditioned to think. And so, uh, again, let's go back to I was conditioned to think that the only thing that was was to be successful was to be deep involved in a ministry. And so, you know, for other people, it's, you know, financial success. It's climbing the ladder. It's, you know, breaking the ceilings, the glass ceilings, like those are the successful things. And, and, and for some people that that's not actually what's true for them mm-hmm. and they're pursuing it and they get to the end of it and they're like, Oh, I did that thing, but it's, it's, it's still empty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the list can, is long for how you can define that. I think old school mentality is really wrapped up in some kind of financial, um, metric, um, in terms of what, Many people look at and say that's success. Mm-hmm. Other people, it's like MVP or Hall of Fame status. Like only then, then it's you know a, the certain accolade or the certain promotion or whatever. And but that ceiling always changes once you've achieved it. Now success looks like something else. Mm-hmm. And so it's that unattainable thing that you're always kind of striving for. Right. But for me. I think success used to look a lot like that. It used to look like checking the boxes and then measuring myself against that list Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, based on the number of boxes that are still left to check off, that's how valuable and good I am. And then there was a time now where it's actually success looks like being able to calm my mind enough to Drown out the voices of culture, my parents, my mm-hmm. friends, society. Your own little voice in the yeah. back of your head that says, I'm not good enough. Yeah. that Yeah. And then to hear the higher self, to hear the intuitive self, to hear that, that small voice that we do not often like mm-hmm. listen to and have the willingness to go do whatever that commands of you mm-hmm. to the best of your ability and to the best of your knowledge Mm -hmm. to me that's success and and i you know also was talking about this yesterday 
that I think we are really in a time and a culture shift where people think maybe becoming an entrepreneur is the next thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or a coach or whatever. It's like, oh, everyone's doing that. Maybe I should do that too. And that will be then my thing that makes me successful. Yeah. <laughs> it's again from this place of trying to fill a part of you with something outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, Cause I think for me, it's, it's really about service. It's about an, a calling yep. that's bigger than me that it was because my life has changed and well, I have to. <laughs> and I think that, that that piece of it that's about the calling that's bigger than me is what's so important in being excellent at what we do. What 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 you just described of you know trying to climb the ladder and trying to be all that, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those mm-hmm. things, right? In fact, when you get to the top, if you're if you're approaching it from the right way, now you have the opportunity to see the world differently and to actually impact the world differently. Mm-hmm. So there's great value in getting to the top of those. So, you know, self-improvement, being better, but now it's not for the again, the point of being better so that I can prove something to myself. It's being at the top of my game it's being in excellence it's being ready for the the next thing that comes up so that i can be ready to serve the world Mm -hmm. at any moment Mm -hmm. if i'm not taking care of my body and therefore i can't be out you know i'm 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 feeling you know lethargic or you know if i'm not taking care of my relationship and so it's draining energy on a daily basis away from the work that is purposeful to me then then i'm not I'm, i'm not at my A game. And so that spiritual practice becomes just, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do at any moment what needs to be done mm-hmm. to serve the world with my philosophy. So is that what you mean when you talk about leading from wholeness? It's it's partially what I mean. I, I think when we when we can lead from a place of that I'm not trying to prove anything and th- that yet I know that I'm deeply involved in my purpose. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. The other part of it is, um, it is really being able to see that those parts of ourselves that we are, that we've been hiding. And so sometimes we can't accept the things that are really great about us Mm -hmm. because we haven't, we've looked at the things that we don't really like about ourselves, the things that we actually want to hide away from other people. And we pretend like those things that don't exist, don't exist. And so everything we're doing is intended to mask that. Yeah. We put on the, you know, the, the, the nice suit to mask our insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> we, we put on the title in order to mask our feeling of not being enough. Mm-hmm. And so it's when we look at those places where we're, where we, where, where we aren't enough, where we don't feel like we're enough, we can then actually choose to do the other thing, the better thing, the higher self thing from a place, not of rejecting that, but from a place of I've accepted this and and this is just not, this is not a way that I'm going to operate anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it takes the courage to look at those things, Mm -hmm. you know, that a lot of people for, for some, it takes some big life event Mm -hmm. to actually confront those things in your life. And because I think our life is always speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And if you, if anyone listening to this, like you've ever identified some cyclical pattern that you have, maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's at work, maybe you like just don't work well in your opinion with a certain type of boss or, you know, it's these are, it's a pattern for a reason that's trying to teach you something about mm-hmm. who you are in the world and how you like the things that you believe to be true. Um, because those cyclical patterns, I think is the universe's way of giving you that opportunity to, 
to, to wake up, to mm-hmm. wake up to what it is that you're not addressing in your life and, and the parts of you that do need healing and do need to surface. Um, and so for a lot of people, we don't do that. And we wait until some big event that happens. And for me, I think I can look back on my life and notice so many chances that I had to really pay attention to what life was trying to show me and to teach me. And, but I wasn't ready to see it and I couldn't. And then I was hit in the face with a traumatic experience that really caused me then to address the things that were hidden beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And like you were just saying, I think we we hide behind our titles and our identities of mom, dad, girlfriend, husband, whatever that is, um, CEO, business owner, as a way to not address those underlying mm-hmm. things. And and two, when it comes to work, in my experience, it was an opportunity every every time something like that comes up for you to learn was really to get into integrity and to an mm-hmm. alignment with what's true for me mm-hmm. at my core, because I was in reality living and pursuing someone else's dream mm-hmm. and someone else's version of success. And so I think that's why it's so important to define that for yourself yeah. um, so that you know that the direction that you're heading is because it feels true for you, not mm-hmm. because it's a, I have to, I should, I'm supposed to. I don't think that we, sh- we get that friction point that we feel. Those friction points are what you talked about. And then a lot of times we, because we don't learn our lesson, that's when the heavy things happen. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And man, wouldn't it be great if we could all just recognize those friction points and change yeah. <laughs> and yet most of us don't. Like right. I, I had my own realignment. You know, I talked about the faith. I I left the faith that I was in mm-hmm. very soon after that. I left the career that I was in very soon after that. I got divorced. And I, as I was going through my divorce, I remember texting my, um, she was still my wife at the time. I texted her. And I was like, I quit on my, on my faith. I quit on my career. I quit on my marriage. I don't have anything left to quit on. Mm-hmm. And I look back now and it was definitely a realignment of what was true for me. But in the moment, those things still felt like failures. And I I think that's, that's a lot of times why we don't want to, we don't want to look at them because they look like failure on the surface when really it's our spirit, it's our soul, however you want to term that striving, like trying to get back into that realignment and we're resisting it. And then finally, it's just like, no, like I've heard people say like, you can't, you can't argue with soul, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, your your soul wants to get into that alignment and it's it's going to bring something traumatic or it has the potential to do that and so if you know if we can recognize those points along the way and and mm-hmm. ease into them hopefully those those times don't come you know for me it came when i after i got divorced and I'm living in a little one room apartment when my kids would come over and visit. It was, you know, the three of us in this space where my bedroom was also in my kitchen. And I remember just looking in the, like in the mirror at that, at that point one night. And I just looked at myself and I was just like, I hate you. Mm. I hate you. I hate you. And I just, I just repeated it over and over. And it, it took recognizing that it was that like kind of loathing of myself that had caused all of this 
to get to where it was in the first place. And again, I look back, it was great, it was great realignment, but I probably could have done things so differently. I could have, I could have looked at my faith differently in, in that moment rather than completely throwing it out. I could have looked at my marriage differently. I could have looked at my career differently if I had, if I had resisted it rather than waiting until it was, it was too late to not see me being off the path as failure, but to see it as just we get to do it. We get to go back. Yeah. Well, it's something I say a lot in my work and with my clients is there are the things that happen to us and then there's what we make them mean. Mm-hmm. And so we aren't our story. Mm-hmm. It's just the meaning that we we're meaning making creatures. We give meaning to the events that happen in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds from hearing you it had been a long history of making it mean I'm broken and I'm yeah. not good enough and I'm a failure. That's exactly what it was. And, and and that, what you just said was when I was going through my divorce right before it, I sat down, I was like, I was at this like stress point. Like I couldn't even go home at night mm-hmm. because I was just like, not that I could go home at night, but every time I went home at night, I was like, oh, I don't want to be here. So I, something has to break. And so I went and sat down with a therapist and a coach. She's, she was both. And I was like, like, I literally looked at her. I was like, what is the meaning of all this? I had grown up in like, there's a purpose driven life and you had a purpose oh, for yes. right, everything. And God had given you that purpose. And like, what is the meaning in this? And she looked at me, this didn't come from her, but in that moment it did. Um, she said, there's no meaning in life except what you give it. And it hit me in two very specific ways, which was what you just described, that I get to I get to interpret what's happening to me and 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 decide what that means. But also that purpose for my life gets to be up to me. I get to decide not only how I interpret that, but what is the action that I take from that? What is the what is the meaning that I make for my life and therefore to to serve and influence others? And that's what I did. I walked away and I put down a, um, a a purpose that was essentially that it was, you know, how I wanted to enjoy my life. And the tag of it at the end was, and to teach others to do the same. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and it was exactly that, exactly that concept that completely started. And it still took a while because there was still a lot to unravel, but it was that like upward trajectory that started at that moment. It sounds like that was a miracle moment in your life because what I define as a miracle is a shift in perception. Yeah. I, 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 it was like a weight. There were several times in my life where I felt like a weight has been lifted off me. That was one of those. Like I just was bawling like that one, that was all it took that I went through two sessions with her Mm -hmm. and that was, that was what she was placed there for me was to break that open for Mm me. And the beauty the beauty in that is that the biggest thing I think in the work I do too, as a coach is to not give people answers Mm -hmm. to their questions, but to re like help them to look at themselves for the answers within themselves. And what it sounds like is you just realized that you weren't your enemy. Like you weren't destined to just have to suffer your whole life it was actually you were just in your own way in terms of your perception and when you realized that it could be different and that you got the choice and it was up to you the narrative shifted and it's like that looming thing that was it's always going to be this way or i don't know how to change it you got the power back got the permission to change it to to do it yeah Yeah. i I think that's one of the common misconceptions about coaching in general that uh, you know a life coach or a business coach is you know about coming in and saying go do this thing and your life is going to be better and i've 
I don't know that I've ever had that conversation with someone unless they have said to me, I want to go do this thing. And then I go, okay, well then go do that thing. <laughs> right. right. But it's not, it's not, Hey, here's my advice. I think you should go do this and here's how you're going to live your life because that's, that's the same crap that they're getting from everyone else. Yeah. And it's tuning in and, and, and giving people that space. Like what she gave me was the opportunity and the space and the permission to tune into myself. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, I think too, it's, it's not somebody comes to you and it's like, Hey, what should I do? It's, or, you know, all these in kind of that victim mentality of Mm -hmm. all this has happened to me. Woe is me. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. You know, I'm always kind of working from behind and all that stuff. And it's, it's not, how do I fix that is what do you make it mean? Again, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. what do you make it mean? Because if you make it mean that like, this is your story and that this is always going to be your story, um, then it will be. And giving, empowering people with, with just the knowledge that they get, get that choice is, is a miracle. And so I want to know, I think from you, and I think this will be really important to listeners, especially that are in roles of leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, how do we bring this type of conversation, this type of awareness, personal Mm self-awareness because for you and I, we've had our, you know, we've had moments that have awakened us to ourselves and shown us that we're in our own way and shown us about what purpose driven work looks like for us and redefine success for ourselves, all of that for the person that is just maybe in a routine and doing the thing they've always done. They thought they might be listening to this and thought like, I thought I was like killing it. You know, (laughs) are you telling me I'm not? How do we how do we introduce this into a work setting and having a kind of conversation about what it means to be intentional in our work and and just bring our whole selves to the work that we do? I think I think looking around externally, we get a lot of feedback that we ignore. So I'll I'll put it a different way as from a leader. A lot of people that get into leadership have done it because they've done their they've been an individual performer well. Mm -hmm. And so they get into a leadership role and they go, how can I do my my role well and how can I get other people to make me look good. How can I do other how can I get other people to make my role look like I'm doing it well? And that might be effective management, but it's not effective leadership because effective leadership then allows me to be able to look around and say, are the other people that are that are on my team, are the other people that are that my customers, the people that I'm influencing, my partners, are they feeling empowered? Are they feeling the ability to be able to do the thing that is purposeful for them as well? Mm-hmm. I was talking to a, a, a prospective client the other day and he was telling me what his vision was for his company. And he was like, it's freedom. It's like, cool. How are you empowering your people to have that, to be able to have that same thing? He was like, I mean, I don't know that I am like they're, they're there. They were there to give him that freedom. And so that's the way that he's been taught, right? You go, you have, you have a business idea, you have a a thing that you want to go after, you go hire people to help implement it. You exchange their time for your money and they go do the thing. And again, not necessarily anything wrong with that, except that it's not intentional about how, how, how are these people walking away? How are they going home to their families? How are they going home to their, their neighborhoods and their friends? And if, if they are, if you're creating something that's purposeful for you, but not something that's purposeful for them, the impact that your business then has on the community, you got 10, 15 employees and they've got 
a family of four at home and they have 10 friends they and and they're going home miserable because they're just an order taker because you've just you know given them zero purpose other than cashing a paycheck Mm -hmm. again that's our that's our society no one tends to think about it but if we want to be impactful in that it's giving them roles that serve that mission that they know that they're giving their time and energy to something that 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 is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going home to their families feeling fulfilled. They're going home to sit at their tables or um, nowadays to sit in front of Netflix and watch it <laughs> and yeah. eat dinner um, to that. They're going home to those places feeling full and yeah. feeling purposeful and, and being able to go home to their relationships and their families and their friends mm-hmm. and, um, and feeling and feeling whole and feeling. Yeah. You know, what stands out to me about that story is that the guy, you know, the business owner, wanted to create a business that provided freedom. And the thing that sticks out is, like you said, he might have freedom, but his people don't. And what freedom from what? Mm -hmm. And it's like, is it freedom from your own business? Mm -hmm. So if you're having to get freedom from your business, how invested are you in actually the purpose and the, like the mission of the work? If you're trying, if the whole point of it is to get away from it. Um, that's a deeper conversation about, yeah. am I in integrity mm-hmm. when it comes to what is meaningful to me? Mm-hmm. Because our work, we spend for the majority of the U S population, we will spend the majority of our lives working mm-hmm. and to be doing anything that's not truly align with our core values and creating a life that is a reflection of that, I think then perpetuates a culture, a systemic culture of regretting the Mm -hmm. things that we did. Because how many people look back and, and then try to reinvent themselves or vicariously live through their kids to live out the purpose or the dream that they didn't have the courage to do when they were that age. Mm -hmm. And I was just listening to something the other day, the amount of baby boomers that are turning 60 every 13 minutes was like some astrological number. Like it was huge. And meaning that there's a huge demographic of people that are now coming out of the workforce and coming in, like looking at their lives and be like, okay, what's next? Like I've Mm -hmm. been a mom, my kids are grown up. Mm -hmm. I'm out of, now I'm retired. I could potentially have 20, 25 years left. There's that's a significant amount of time and thinking are my best days behind me. Mm-hmm. And I think this conversation is applicable not just to the 30-year-old mm-hmm. that's trying to define what he like success looks like for them, but for the 60-year-old mm-hmm. that is now an empty nester mm-hmm. and has time to f- to actually do things, figure out what they like and enjoy for the first time mm-hmm. and have the the guts to to do a new a new thing, start a new project and reinvent, you know, quote unquote themselves. I think it's, you know, it's an important conversation on multiple levels. I think it's also important not to vilify or to make bad that individual who like the entrepreneur gets the credit for being courageous sure, and for leaping out and going and doing that thing. And there are 
there's a there's a group of people who will find purpose in in working for and supporting someone else's work. Mm-hmm. What I think is so important in that is that that leader is again creating something that's worthwhile for the people to follow. Mm-hmm. There is a, a a guy I know, not a client, but a guy I know that is a pressure washer, and he finds purpose and meaning in pressure washing, mm-hmm. and it's being able to connect with those homeowners. It's being able to give them a clean sidewalk, and he it, there's purpose in that for him. And then you've got other people who have an opportunity to create really massively purposeful things that they're then going back to, you know, oh, I've just got to sell this widget so that I can collect my paycheck and go home. And they have an opportunity to create something purposeful and and aren't. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that, a lot of time that does come back to when I, another thing about talking about wholeness is not doing what we do from a place of lack in any area of our life. Yeah. And so if I'm doing the work that I'm doing from a place of lack, I've got to put I've got to put this money in my bank account into my 401k into my whatever and 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 I'm doing it from a place of striving to to do that as opposed to I'm doing it from a place of like creating something that's purposeful and knowing that when I do that over and over and over again, I will be financially rewarded right. for that. Right. Right. It's a it's a different mindset and it may seem insignificant, but it's the difference between, again, leading from a place of wholeness mm-hmm. um, and ease and purpose or leading from a place of lack, which means striving mm-hmm. and difficulty and frustration. Yeah. I love what you just said about the pressure washer. I think that's amazing. I mean, it's, I think, a reflection of mindfulness, just mm-hmm. being present mm-hmm. and finding purpose in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That There's a whole art to it and how transforming that can be just to do be in the moment doing what you're doing and enjoying it Mm -hmm. and then like the person that's trying to sell the widget or whatever it is you know i think there's a lot of conversation around corporate culture and i do this i mean i'm a consultant part you know part of my business is that where i'm going into to organizations and in the same way you are looking at what does it feel like to work here? Is there that empowerment? Is there that purpose where everyone's really bought into a vision um, and knowing how their work contributes? Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think there's a part of it that is looking to leadership to create that culture. And if it's not there, then it's not their fault. And Mm -hmm. they're okay with just getting the paycheck. But then I think what I want people to understand and to hear. It doesn't matter if you're the entrepreneur that goes and does the crazy thing. It's just about ownership of your work wherever you are and not really taking the fact that leadership is a certain way as an excuse not to show up powerfully in your work, but really just owning your side of the street and owning your portion of it and saying, I can make an impact here Mm -hmm. regardless. Like I think folks that think they want to be public speakers or they want to have this big platform are waiting for the platform and the stage, but they won't even speak to their family, their friends, their small audience on Instagram about the thing that they're passionate about. And it's, it's not about waiting until the environment is conducive for it. It's about doing it right now. And then the environment will transform around you. I used to look at leadership that way where it was like, well, if leadership is doing it well, then I'll just, you know, I'll let them do it. But if leadership's not doing it well, then I'll step in. Well, you become practiced at not stepping in. And then when leadership isn't doing it well, you still don't step in. And so leadership is not about having a title. It's not about 
you know, forcefully taking a title or forcefully being like, I'm a leader and I'm going to, I'm going to tell everybody what to do. Leadership for me is about number one, empowering myself and then turning around and empowering others. So a person can have really purposeful work on a team by looking at the people around them and going, this isn't just about me getting my job done. So I stay out of the doghouse with my boss, but how do I make my team look really good? Mm -hmm. How do I look, how do I look at others and go like, Tori's really struggling with, with this in this area. I know that I could, I could help her and she could really shine here because I'm taking this off of her. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of looking at my, my, that's not, that's not in my job description. Right. Well, no, it's not. But, but if we're looking at what a leader looks like, a leader says, how can I empower others? And maybe I could, maybe I could take some of that that would allow that to empower somebody else or help them see it in a different way. It's not about enabling. Leadership isn't about enabling either, but it's about looking around and going, how how can I make this space better because I exist in it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just part of a service mentality, not mm-hmm. of a sales mentality of not mm-hmm. what can I get mm-hmm. from being in this position, but what can yeah. I give? And that is a natural law of the universe. When you're yep. gi- like, when you're giving of yourself, mm-hmm. it naturally puts out the energetic frequency mm-hmm. that you should be given in return. And again, back to that, like abundance instead of lack mentality. And when you're in that sales mentality of I'm here just to do my thing and to get out, yep. it's about what can I get, which is automatically telling everyone around you and the universe that you are here to take yeah. and that you're not in and if you're going to take to let's avoid you too by right the way. exactly we all have takers in our lives yeah. that are just there to see like what they can benefit from the relationship they have with you whatever that looks like and in those folks are not the ones that you run to mm-hmm. in a crisis when you need a leader to mm-hmm. help illuminate the way those are the people you avoid because mm-hmm. they're just gonna deplete view of energy. And so, no, I think that's really interesting. One of the things that I really strive to do and what I hope to do in the work that I'm doing for, you know, aligning purpose to profit is getting out of the mindset that sales is how can I as a company make money and getting into how can we as a company serve others and change the world because of them. Mm-hmm. If my product or service doesn't move the needle, it doesn't have to be life-changing. It doesn't have to be that, you know, you're feeding millions of people in, you know, a third world country for it to be purposeful. It could just mean that, you know, again, when I show up to work, I'm looking at when I I know when my coworker leaves that they're going to leave better because of having interacted with me today. I know that when my customer gets off the phone with me, that they're going to walk away with feeling more empowered and more joyful in the world that's around them. Mm -hmm. Like that that so my point was with that it doesn't have to be that we're doing this huge thing but also that sales doesn't have to be this how can i get how can i get um because i think for for a lot of people that are in a sales role that rubs them the wrong way they they want to be in a place of service and yet they're being taught that sales is about how can i get and so it feels artificial. It feels it feels forced. I'm telling you, like I'm I'm in like I'm I'm there to serve you, but really all I want is the paycheck from this. And so that creates friction in itself. And that friction is why people are reluctant to make phone calls. Mm-hmm. That friction is why you know marketing doesn't go the way that it, it isn't as effective as it should be because it's about what can I get. And all the while I'm telling a story about you know all I want to serve you. So that mentality has to line up. Mm-hmm. And, and when it is, people want 
to pick up the phone call and give a gift to someone Mm -hmm. rather than feeling like I'm asking you for money. I'm asking you to, to make me more financially better off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I spent the majority of my career before I started coachable in sales and, um, selling a service that I wasn't emotionally invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was invested in the relationships that I built during that time. What I, I think the shift for me, and I think anyone can take this away, regardless of what your leadership is telling you about uh, what sales is, but you, there's the, the resistance in what you did there when you were talking about that friction is, is life coming up against is this integrity? Like, am mm-hmm. I in integrity mm-hmm. in this? Because like you said, if sales is sleazy, when we're out of integrity, trying to push a product or a service that doesn't feel authentic mm-hmm. or that we know really isn't going to serve the need of that, that person, mm-hmm. um, that's when you really have to ask yourself, like, what what am I doing here? And what is, what is like doing well worth? Is it worth my integrity? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was in that situation to the extent that I had to leave a, a role because I didn't, we couldn't walk the talk. I could go out there and say, Hey, we're the best, like we've got the best people process and technology and all the things you say when you're in a sales pitch. And when you don't believe the thing you're actually saying, that isn't in integrity, but you can flip that in saying the other perspective is Selling will not be sleazy and is almost a disservice to not sell when you are coming from a place of, I know what I have to give and offer will help you, will change your life, will is exactly the thing that you, you're you saying you're looking for, whatever that is. It's a disservice to not give you this information mm-hmm. or to give you an opportunity to have, um, you know, have an opportunity to, to see what this looks like for you that from that place, then yeah, you pick up the phone and it's not, it's not force, but two people can read your energy. They know when this is mm-hmm. phony. They mm-hmm. know when it's not authentic and why would they're not going to be sold? If a dog all. can smell fear, your prospect can smell your inauthenticity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just like a tweetable moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Well, I love this conversation. You know, I think when I get together with you, we could probably go on for hours. We have before, but as we wrap up, I have some questions that I kind of ask everybody. One, what would you say to the old version of you? To the version of me before or the version of me that will be the old the old man, Josh? No, the version of you before, back when you were mm. maybe in your 20s or before you had kind of this awakening. It, it all, I mean, it all comes back to this for me is, and it sounds trite, but it's actually one of the very first steps that I take people through is that, that you're enough. And I believe that's the foundation of all of it. It's the foundation of me being able to get connected with who I am, uh, get connected with other people, get connected to that cause, really about getting connected to God as well. And so uh, maybe I'm trying to think of it in a different way is that the you that you see right now is the you that you see when you look in the mirror is is really only half the story that that you have amazing things inside of you and that when you get to that bottom of despair because it's going to happen when you get to that point where you're ready to change act take action then take action then don't wait around because the greatness is waiting for you i love that um another one i want to ask you is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received 
best piece of advice ever received. I don't, so I, I, I've tended to get rid of advice. I I think, I think if I, I hate to pull back from the story that I've already told today, but the piece of advice that came out of that life is only what the meaning that you make out of it was the inferred advice, which is go make your own meaning. Mm, Yeah. That's so good. Um, how do you define leadership? Leadership is seeing the best in others and helping them to see that best in themselves, which is also why I feel like that it's so important that we lead from that place of being whole. Because if I haven't, if I haven't looked at my own capacity and owned my own capacity, at least to the level that I like that I can in that moment, we're constantly owning other levels of it, then it's it's going to be really hard for me to see that in others. If I'm judging myself, then it's going to be really hard for me not to be judging others and seeing and and, and looking at them and going, oh, well, you, you could be doing so much better from a place of judgment as opposed to you could be doing so much better from a place of like, I see exactly what's possible for you. When I coach people, I rarely tell them what a great job that they're doing. I will, but it's that's not my go-to. It's not like, oh, you got it right, because I'm not looking for them to get it right. I'm looking for them to understand that they have the capacity for that. Mm-hmm. When they can see that for themselves, that's when my job as a leader is done. I love that. Um, what is something that you know now that you wish you'd known when you were younger? I used to see failure as the lack of being perfect. If I didn't get it right, it was either get it right or fail. And getting it right was the only thing that was valuable. And now realizing that, you know, if life is about a process of realignment, then trying something and failing is the quickest way to get to that realignment. And so while I never intend to do things to fail, I can look at when I left my church, when I left my relationship, when I left like the career, instead of taking action to what could have been immediately, I sat and wallowed in it for a long time. I sat and was like, well, this is failure. This is what failure looks like. Mm-hmm. And now looking back at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, no, that was the real life. That was the step. That was the, the time to jump. That was the time to go on to the next thing. And maybe I could have taken time, you know, take time to heal through the process, take time to mourn for what was, all those things are valuable, but for the intention of moving through that mourning and into action, not for the the intention of wallowing Mm -hmm. in it. Failure is feedback and that's all it is. Um, At the end of your life, if you didn't have any of your programs, (laughs) you didn't have any videos of you, no interviews then and there were only like three truths that your kids the world could remember you by Mm -hmm. what are the three things that you would want people to know again i'm gonna have to call it back you're enough you are not separate and that doing is not the thing that will make you successful that coming to your world from a place of just being enough just recognizing your connectedness will change your work and your relationships and your life Mm -hmm. yeah well, thank you. This was such a good conversation. I know so many people will be, um, you know, get value out of it. And, and there's some practical things I think that people can really take away. So thanks for being on and sharing yeah, thank you so your much. story, your perspective. I always enjoy our conversations. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.